0: Hey everybody, this is Saturday Night Rewind. I'm here with Randall McDonald. And I'm here with the spectacular
1: Brian Paradise.
0: Yeah, this there's a lot of spectacle today. Mm-hmm. So we are talking about hosts this week, and we're actually kind of... Deviating a little bit from what we talked about in the end of the last episode. Last episode, we talked about doing our top five one-time hosts. And then we actually did a little research, and we found out that there are literally hundreds of people that have only hosted once. So picking a top five top five seemed a little kind of short-sighted, kind of cutting... There's more discussion to be had with all of these folks.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I saw the list, I was like, that is daunting. I don't know if I can <laughs> only pick five from that huge list.
0: Yeah, and there's just so... And I fancy myself a Saturday Night Live kind of aficionado, but there was just so many people that I either had not heard of mm-hmm. or had I didn't realize that they had hosted or thought they had hosted more. So it was cool to just look at the the list... What was interesting is I thought I was going to be able to go on the internet and find this list myself, but that was untrue. So the way that we compiled our list is I went on the Wikipedia page for SNL by episode, copy their tables over into another document, and then do a little math and figure out how many times each name occurred and then put that into a separate list. So there, uh, because there have been... Scrolling down. There have been 886 episodes of Saturday Night Live, and there have been 450 or so. My my list is not perfect. 450 or so people that have hosted only once. Whew. So... Picking two top fives out of that (laughs) seemed like a bad idea. So instead, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have kind of like a sub-series when we're not talking about new episodes or some other stuff that we have planned. We're going to be doing what I have dubbed uh, Tales from the One-Timers Club. So there's the Five-Timers Club, which is kind of an achievement for SNL hosts. This is the (laughs) One-Timers Club. People, for whatever circumstance, uh, did not host again or have not hosted again yet. And we'll also talk uh, in our discussion about do we think that these folks deserve a second shot or why do we think that they've only showed up once? Mm -hmm. So Randall, what do you think makes a good
1: SNL host? Oh yes, there's many elements that make a good SNL host. Uh, One of them that I think we both love and everybody loves is to see that person's personality uh, shine through, especially in their monologue. I think that that is crucial. A good monologue for a host is huge and you can kind of tell when there's hosts who can hold their own and they give these uh really great funny monologues and then there's these hosts uh who kind of need the help of the cast and there's uh interview uh audience interviews and and there's other people coming on not that those aren't funny but i think a good strong host can kind of hold their own in their monologue um I agree with you.
0: I think when we get the questions from the audience, that is what we call a tell, mm-hmm. right? Where they, they did not feel comfortable doing the solo or where we have um, kind of cast members crashing the stage in whatever context that they cook up. It makes it gives me the impression that they couldn't talk for
1: five minutes by themselves. Right, right. yeah. And then uh, the other thing that I like to see is that they're in all the sketches and not only are they in the sketches... But they're not just the straight man. Yep. I like to see it when they're a character; they're the they're the driver of the sketch. Uh, I think that that shows a host who really wants to be there, really wants to participate, and really has a talent for the show. Yeah, and I uh,
0: piggybacking on that, I also want somebody that wants that understands what it means to be a host of Saturday Night Live. I really appreciated uh, this season, season 46, where Issa Rae specifically called out that Saturday Night Live was important to her and she was very excited to host. And so I don't like when I get the impression that this is part of their marketing strategy for their project, that they're going to do SNL. This to me is such a special thing that I want it. I want the host to appreciate that.
1: Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. As long as they're in the know. And, uh, and then of course they got to be funny. Yeah that's the other thing.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's funny, you don't even have to be a comedian to work on Saturday Night Live. There's great examples of kind of veteran straight actors that allow themselves to just be put in whatever situation. I really like um, John Malkovich for that same reason, that he's a great, Mm -hmm. he's not somebody that you think of when you think of comedy. He's kind of like approach to whatever has expanded, especially kind of post being John Malkovich, where he (laughs) really kind of examined himself as a person. But he is a kind of classically trained, dramatic actor that has hosted multiple times and is great because of that. And even Christopher Walken falls in that category as well. He's become almost a parody of Christopher Walken over the last 20 years. But there was a long time where he was just the guy from The Deer Hunter. Right. And this... kind of intense straight actor, kind of dramatic actor, that has multiple, like, recurring characters on Saturday Night Live and kind of bits that have gone down in, like, the pantheon of sketches. Yeah. But he's not somebody that you would have associated with comedy in the mid-'90s.
1: Yeah, not at all. And, yeah, so that's a good... You don't have to be funny, but you got to understand comedy, I guess, in some way. Or
0: know your role in these sketches you have to be a tra- you have to understand comedy without being a trained comedian I yes guess maybe and or certainly how to be a good scene partner yeah so that all being said we're going this is going to be something that we kind of do when we're between new episodes we're going to kind of pull out some things from the one-timers club yeah. so we haven't really talked about the notes that we took or how we're going to organize our thoughts but we're going to jump right in so randall who is your first one-timer
1: My first one-timer is the iconic, the legendary Richard Pryor. Isn't it insane that he only hosted once? It is insane. And actually, I did not research why he only hosted once. Uh Maybe he just didn't want to do it again. But uh, this was back on season one, episode seven. It was on December 13th, 1975. Okay, Great year. And uh, he... I think took the show to the next level when he was on. I re-watched literally just the monologues because I watched that episode. Okay. And his monologue was so good. And I re-watched the first six monologues before that. Oh, okay, cool. Just to see how they were. And they were awkward. Okay. Very yeah. awkward. It was a lot of like, ah, well, this is comedy. It's rough. And he came out and did not... Miss a beat. Um, his opening monologue was so strong. It was about doing uh, drugs with white people at a party <laughs> and uh, doing a far out drug. And he goes through this whole story of like ah, I could handle it. You know, this white guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And then it hits him, and he goes through this whole thing. And it was just so funny. And it's funny now to watch. So just as a as a reference, the first.
0: Six episodes. The hosts are George Carlin, Paul Simon, Rob Reiner, Candace Bergen, Robert Klein, and Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. So definitely some people with comic chops. Obviously, George Carlin is a stand-up, mm-hmm. but a lot of kind of comedic actors. So it's really the second stand-up that the show had gotten.
1: Yeah, yeah. And George Carlin's was good, too, but it just felt like they didn't know... The, the format yet, or, yeah. or they weren't used to it. And to have uh, Richard Pryor come out and just kill it. I mean, there was not, again, like a beat miss. There was not an awkward silence. And he just... Right away, I was like, ah, yes. Like, I could see... I could, like, imagine myself back then and be like, oh, this is the show now. Right. Like, this is it. So what are some highlights from that episode? Um, uh, Well, for me, uh, there's the first... Uh, sketch in that episode is the the samurai, the uh, okay. uh, great Belushi sketch, and uh, it's pretty much the same thing. It's he's at a hotel, uh, uh, hotel. He's the the check-in guy. Okay, Chevy Chase comes in, and they do the same samurai joke, and then Richard Pryor comes out as another samurai, and they kind of do their dueling samurais, and that again was something that I. Appreciate a lot if you can hang with Belushi at his own character at that time, yeah. it is it, just a proven fact that, like, you belong with that cast. And so, uh, there's not much like because I don't really speak any words, but right. <laughs> but Richard Pryor doing uh the samurai with Belushi is was hilarious and I think uh proved that he was worthy and then, um. He gets into this uh, book. He's talking about a book on a book uh, talk show. Okay. And it's about him being white, about how much uh, he spent a year being a white guy. Okay. And he wrote a book about it. And he pretty much does this whole bit about how he was hired right on the spot, how he was... um, How everybody said hello to him. How how he had to walk and how he talked like hello, sir. (laughs) And um, he is the one of the founding people of
0: the white person impression. Like I've heard multiple comedians, multiple black comedians talk about how they did. They basically do a Richard Pryor impression when they do their white person voice. And you'll hear. Chris Rock do that. You'll hear yeah. Dave Chappelle for sure mm-hmm. has like a white guy impression. Yeah. So they credit this his work doing this as a part of that.
1: Yeah, Richard Pryor was the guy. And on so when I'm watching this sketch, the jokes that he's making, it reminded me of a sketch that was done maybe 10 years later with Eddie Murphy playing... A white guy. That was like a film
0: sketch where he yeah. like embeds himself as a white person. Yeah, and they like go, he they go to the he goes to the bank and they give him money that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it was pretty much the same jokes. So I was like, they took instead of just talking about it, Eddie Murphy went out and did it. Right, and I thought that that was fascinating. I was like, I wonder if they knew that they copied that sketch later on. Um, what was so funny about this sketch, or I guess not really funny, but eye-opening to me was. The amount of every single sketch pretty much was around the premise of race. Okay. Every single sketch. And to come from Dave Chappelle last week, and almost every single sketch was about race or the political system that we're in, I was like, not much has changed. Right. But uh, so there was that one. Another great one was uh, there was this family. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was, or not Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, Dan Aykroyd mm-hmm. was the uh, was the father, and he's got his his wife and his two kids, Gilda Radner and Belushi. And he's talking about how uh, a black person moved up the street, and they they're coming in, and and next thing you know, there's one working above him, and now they're he's working for a black guy. And as the sketch is going through, like the family members will leave the room, and then they'll come back out as a black actor or actress oh interesting. So he's like they're, they're just taking over and soon they're gonna be you never know like soon my whole family's gonna be black and like his whole family is black and so that was uh another just really i thought well-written sketch really funny richard Pryor again plays belushi the the black version of Belushi. oh interesting so i mean he just he was really good in all the sketches he was like the moving factor and uh i just thought that uh he should have hosted again. Isn't this the episode with the the word association sketch? Yes, okay it was Chevy Chase. I was going to get to okay, that one perfect. too. Yes, uh, you remember this episode?
0: I have seen this sketch, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen the the rest of the episode, and that is the the. Uh, go Ro- ahead and describe it. What is it?
1: It's called the Rorschach test. Oh, it's the Rorschach test. Rorschach test. Yes, and uh, it's for Rorschach. Got, uh, Rorschach. The ink R- blots. Yeah, yeah, the ink things, and. Uh, they also do a word association thing, and it's he's interviewing to be a, a janitor for a school, right? And Chevy Chase is hiring him, and it kind of starts off normal. He says, "When I say a word, you tell me first thing that pops in your head." Right. And uh, it starts off with dog, and I think Richard Pryor says tree, and then he's like, "Okay," and then he they go on and on. He's like fast, slow, uh, dark, light. Uh, White, black, and it slowly starts to become uh, r- more and more racial.
0: Well, and I think part of the what makes the sketch so good is that Pryor is kind of sheepish at the beginning. Yes, right when he says white, he kind of sheepishly says black. Uh huh. And then uh, as things get kind of head- heavier, um, they get kind of darker because it ends with uh, the N word. The, N-word. the en- Chevy Chase in 1975 on television saying the N word.
1: Yes. Yeah, and then I think the fu- so it gets worse and worse. I think the next one is he says tar baby, and Yikes. then uh, Richard Pryor comes back with like white trash, yeah. And then I'm not going to repeat the next uh, yeah. couple ones, but eventually it gets to uh, Richard Pryor saying honky, and then he says honky honky, and then Chevy Chase says uh, the N word, and he goes dead honky. Yeah. And he gets really mad and Chevy chase goes, well, you got the job. Uh, go ahead and take two weeks off. You've been uh, working really hard. I think uh, Yeah, it's all paid for. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Another just, I That's think a classic iconic sketch. And again, making a very poignant case on race, uh, throughout this episode. Surrender so, with Richard Pryor. I think we want to end each of these segments was
0: should they have hosted again? Okay. So, uh, I'm assuming I know your answer. So, do you think that Richard Pryor should have come back? Definitely
1: not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, definitely yes. And I can't believe he never did. Um, I just thought that he really knocked it out of the park, and he was such good friends with Steve Martin at the time. And I just can't imagine why he never came back. Um, but he should have.
0: Yeah, his, you know, his IMDb looks kind of weird right he gets mm-hmm. he gets sick in the 90s and then he just kind of is completely out of spotlight and and passes away in the early 2000s yeah, like 2005 and he oh, was very young he yeah. was he died at 65 but he kind of ended his um kind of acting career pretty early i just think that he was just crazy busy in the 80s and then got sick and then just couldn't perform anymore yeah um but obviously there was a lot of love for him
1: right but yes, I definitely think he should have hosted again. And yeah. it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see that. Yeah, just more Richard Pryor in general. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that, that's Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. So, so what's yours? So my my first one, we're going to stay in the 70s. Okay. And this one is uh, uh, Martin Sheen. Yes. So this is an interesting case because there are sometimes when somebody hosts and their, their kind of work is so narrow mm-hmm. that they get pigeonholed as something right so at this point martin sheen was the guy from apocalypse now okay he had been in some other things but if you were a general person watching nbc in the winter of 1979 and you saw this guy martin sheen you know him as the guy from apocalypse now (laughs) you don't know him as martin sheen now the thing that I noticed in the episodes that I watched, and I'm not sure if we'll talk about all of them, but there's just this like overall sense of gay panic mm. that I see in a lot of the comedy. It, it, like, I love SNL, and I appreciate it for the time which it was created. So I'm not going to say like we need to cancel '70s Saturday Night Live by any stretch. Mm-hmm. But so the cold open, he's not in this, but to set the scene, the cold open is is Bill Murray is in Sweden meeting with Jane Curtin, who is Swedish, okay. because he wants a sex change operation. Okay, And they can do the really expensive one, or they can do the cheap one. So he goes for the cheap one. And basically what it is, they put him on an operating gown, and they have the, the three women cast members, so uh, Gilda and Lorraine and Jane Curtin um, operating on B- Bill Murray. He's obscured. You can't see him. And so, basically, they, like, use a couple of medical terms, like, give me the scalpel, scalpel, scalpel," And then they go to, like, eyeliner, 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 lipstick, 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 dress high heels. And okay. then they <laughs> re- reveal um, Bill Murray post-sex change operation, where really, he's just wearing a female gender-appropriate clothing. Okay. Live from New York at Saturday night. <laughs> that's it. So they were, so in 1979, we were equating a sex change operation uh, with just um, cross-dressing, which even that me saying that out loud feels like a, a term that is no really longer in use. It's just right. like he's wearing clothes that are associated with women, females. Yeah.
1: So that that's the cold of it. That's funny because to see how far we've come from yeah. there, uh-huh. but then to see that we're still talking about race, you know, in the other way, it's so interesting oh, how, yeah, so there's like progress and then there's no progress, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> god, so then uh, Martin Sheen just kind of like
0: stutters his way through his monologue. Um, and then this is another, like, here's some terms we don't use anymore. It's around Christmas time, mm-hmm. so he's like, I really want to uh, help out people in the community and the less fortunate, and uh, sometimes you just need to help out your local prostitute. And so he said, you know, sometimes you just don't have a, the, the toys you need or whatever, and that's why I have toys for tarts. <laughs> so it's Martin Sheen, he like kind of does the monologue and then crosses over to a, a seat where there's a box with toys in it, Okay, and you can only see the toys for and then it kind of goes to the wide and you can see toys for tarts. Um, and it's like, here's some toys for prostitutes. And they're not like what a pro- what toy a prostitute might use in their profession. It's just like some stuffed animals and stuff. <laughs> but it's just like, that's it. That's, that's the monologue. That's the joke. Okay. Yeah. So then um, the first sketch is like a mom and a dad and Gilda Radner's little girl and she's scared of things. Like she's scared of the dark. But mm-hmm. then you realize that all the things she's scared of are actually happening. Um, and this is where like Martin Sheen, I adore, mostly as a West Wing fan. Mm-hmm. So he is very good In all of his sketches, but his job is to be a straight man. He's not really telling jokes. And that's fine, too. Yeah. But in this bedtime story, he's just the dad. He's just coming out as a very capable actor, admonishing his child. He's got a big, commanding voice. And he, like, yells at Gilda, who in the the button of this joke is that there's actually a murderer in her closet. And she (laughs) tells her parents it's not a big deal because she doesn't want to get yelled at again. Okay. So... It's fine. He is just like a dad yelling at his daughter, and then the 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 next one is there are uh, there's a group of striking teachers and they're like negotiating what how they will break the strike and mm-hmm. he is really just the facilitator of some jokes. It goes on for a while, <laughs> and then the this episode and I know we're not really going to talk about musical guests, but this was was delightful because this was. Um, David Bowie was the musical guest, and he uh, sang "The Man Who Sold the World," which uh, most people know as a Nirvana song. Is it? Yeah. So, uh, and it's a very cool performance. And then the the last sketch, which goes on for some time. Oh yeah. It takes multiple locations. Here's the here's the last sketch. Uh, that, at least the last one that was available on 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 Peacock. Uh huh. Peacock. Give us some money. So um, (laughs) this one is, so the premise is that, because, again, Martin Sheen in 1979 is known for Apocalypse Now, that um, a couple of studio people come to see Martin Sheen, who's who's playing some other character, and saying like, Francis Ford Coppola is stuck filming Apocalypse Now, and we need somebody to extract him. So instead of, In Apocalypse Now, it's Colonel Kurtz who gets Uh, kind of sucked in. It's Coppola, (laughs) Coppola as played by Bill Murray. So we start in a hotel room where they they give him like the dossier, and you have Martin Sheen doing the narration or whatever, and then it goes to like a map where they show him like traversing from Hollywood to. Vietnam, (laughs) where they're shooting Apocalypse Now. And then they go to another set with, I swear to goodness, like 12 extras dressed as like the locals from Apocalypse Now. So a bunch of shirtless people in loincloths with like white body paint. Wow. And then he's like trying to find Coppola. And then Coppola shows up. Well, actually, first, there's the first guy they sent who's just like this accountant, bookish type with some glasses, but also in white in a loincloth. And he's like, (laughs) Uh, Francis had some ideas about, uh, I had some ideas about the story and Francis agreed with them. So now I'm in this scene. And they keep, I guess the joke, because for, Apocalypse Now was so noted for being this runaway production, whatever, they keep on talking about, like, yeah, we built this great set and then we blew it up. <laughs> uh, and then the it kind of ends with um, uh, Bill Murray as Coppola and whatever. But it doesn't really like go anywhere, but it is like a solid eight, nine minutes long and too long at that. Yeah. And that's kind of the episode. So, like, there wasn't unless there was things that were cut. There wasn't a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think that he equipped himself well. He was a um, he was present in all the scenes. He was leading all the scenes. He's a very good actor, so that translated. He had no problem with the the cue cards. That's kind of something I wanted to talk a little about as host strengths. Yeah, if it doesn't look like you're a slave to the cards, that's good.
1: Yes, I agree with that. And something that I noticed going back and watching a lot of the older episodes, it didn't seem like they stuck, they were looking at the cards that much. No. And that, I don't know if that's because they were more of suggestions back then, or maybe now they try to be more exact to what's on the cards, or... I think part of it might be that the speed of the production was maybe a little
0: bit slower, so they're probably making less changes. So as an actor, you had time to memorize more of your lines. Yeah. Because I think now it's like, who the hell knows when, that, when the ink dried on that thing, they right. might have changed something before, you know, between dress and air, and they're just like clinging on for dear life. But yeah. there are some... There's some actors that it's just like they're just staring off screen and you can tell. And this one, I agree with you. As I was watching several of the older episodes, I didn't notice the, the the card reading as much. So I would have loved Martin Sheen to have hosted in the early 2000s when he was on the West Wing. But I think because he is not, he wasn't really known as like a comedian comedian mm-hmm. until... Uh, Grace and Frankie, right? The Netflix show where he is known as this like kind of older comedic presence on that show. So I don't know if he would have gotten a fair shake in the n- early two thousands. I think he would have just been play- been playing the president. Yeah. Um. I think he's very good. I think he held his own, but I could also fully understand why it's like, nah, eh, right. Yeah, that's fine. We got the apocalypse now, guy. We made our apocalypse now joke. Now we it's, can move on. So yeah. I would have liked to have seen him in his fifties on the show but I also understand why he wasn't asked back. Yeah.
1: All right, so what's your next one? My next one uh, is, in my opinion, I I just think he was the most solid host I've seen. And re-watching it, I thought about it again. This is a more recent episode from uh, season 43, episode 19, May 5th, 2018. It was Donald Glover with musical guest childish gambino which is him yes um he should be in the five timers club okay. s- soon first off his monologue was well even before i get to his monologue there's nine sketches in this oh
0: my goodness okay
1: nine sketches if you include a cut for time one so there is one okay. cut for time so eight sketches cut for time he is the lead in every single <laughs> sketch, and he's the musical guest. Yeah. And um, he, it's amazing. It's, it, his whole performance is amazing. He comes out, talks about how he auditioned for Saturday Night Live uh, twice and didn't get in, kind of talks about who he is, says, I was on this show called Community. He gets a big reaction, then he goes, and if uh, you're black, I'm on this show called Atlanta, <laughs> and I made Redbone. Um <laughs> And then he goes on to do this. I can do anything. He starts singing, and uh, he walks around the set, which with other uh, cast members. Yeah. Uh, and although we just said if you have help from other cast members, uh, it kind of seems cheap. But he was doing all the comedic bits, which he like saw this light guy trying to fix a light, and he goes, "Oh, I can, I can do that." And uh, he tries to fix it, and it electrocutes him, and he falls down. He gets up and he goes over to Kyle Mooney and he's like, oh, you got a skateboard? I can skateboard. I can do that. And he tries to skateboard and he falls down. I mean, all these falls for a host. He ends up pretty well. And then I, just there's so many sketches. Again, there's nine. Yeah, just pick up some highlights. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite... Oh, this was the one that surprised me the most. They, the second uh, sketch in the night is a courtroom sketch um, where they're prosecuting uh, Jurassic World for yet again letting people getting eaten by dinosaurs. Okay. And uh, Donald Glover is the one representing them. And for a host to be the lawyer in a courtroom sketch, which there (laughs) have been many courtroom sketches, but the host is usually like the person getting questioned or they're a side character. For him to lead it and to do such a good job and... uh. One of my favorite things, uh, the, 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 the button of the whole thing is uh, they say, he goes, All these dinosaurs, he came, the dinosaur, he came and ate all my friends. And Donald Glover goes, Dinosaurs are not he's, they are all she's. Objection sustained, overruled. And then he goes and pours himself <laughs> this glass of water and it spills everywhere and it gets Keenan. To break, mm. and I was which is hard like, to do. That is really hard to do. Um, he does well there. There's a, a a Kanye sketch called Kanye's Place, where they're making fun of a quiet place. And oh,
0: that that one is so good. I've I've watched that one recently, and that's like the kind of right wingification of Kanye and all the dumb stuff that he has said. Right, and th- basically they're fascinated, but they want to. Um, but they don't want to b- get sucked in, and then they get kind of killed. Like yeah, a, they can't help place. themselves. They're yeah. so
1: like, "Why did he did what?" Uh, Scoop to poop was one of my favorite lines because that's a real Kanye West <laughs> lyric. real thing he said. And uh, the oh, one of my favorite sketches of the night was called "80s Music Video." That one is cool, <laughs> and it's him singing about he's trying to get his girl back because she left, and uh, he's talking about all the horrible things he's done. To get back at her, he's shoved her jewelry up his butt (laughs) and uh, he has peed in his hair because he knows she loves the smell of his hair, but she hates his pee, so he peed in his hair. And then he slowly realizes that uh, his glasses are too dark and he's talking to the wrong woman. And so <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's, That's like, like where he kind of enters the street, there's like a music
1: behind it. Yep, okay, yeah, and it's very eighties feeling. And it looks like a digital sketch at first, but it's not, it's yeah. a live sketch. Um, they do another sketch with called Friendos, it's a rap with Keenan, Chris Red, and uh, uh Donald Glover, and they are all in therapy talking about uh, how they don't really help each other out, but they keep going in and out of the song. And it's very funny. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Th- that, that was one of my, my favorite ones. And I was just so surprised at how well he handled himself and just commanded it. I mean, it, it almost was like when Eddie Murphy would host when he was in the cast. And yeah. you just know how like how much star power he had and just how much he commanded it. That's what this felt like. It's interesting when you look and I
0: like I don't think I'm very special to say that I like Donald Glover a lot. Um, but I feel like I'm a little late to the party, but I'm in. Because mm-hmm. I I was lucky enough to see... um, He did that, like, farewell tour of Childish Gambino. I went to see him then. Oh. Uh, and we knew, like, this is America and Redbone. Yeah. And that was it. But we, like, knew that he was very good. Yeah. So that we would learn some stuff. But, you know, since then, I watched all of um, Community. Kind of stopped in the last NBC season, Uh because apparently season six isn't great. No, it's not. And it doesn't have Donald Glover in it. Right. Um, Watched the two seasons of Atlanta. He's obviously great in Solo. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, when you look at his, like, IMDb, he hasn't done a lot since he hosted, right? So he hosted, what year was it? Uh, 2018. So he hosted in 2018, kind of, during This Is America. I think uh-huh. that was a little before the video came out. Right. Um, and then since then, A Season of Atlanta and The Lion King. Wow. Now, I'm o- omitting uh, Donald Glover Presents, which is some TV short, Guava Island, which was like a, oh, yeah. a- direct to Amazon 40-minute music video kind of With Rihanna. visual album kind of thing.
1: Yeah. But that's it. Yeah, that's it. For a guy that was so busy, too. You know, he started writing on 30 Rock with Tina Fey. Yes, yeah. And he got an Emmy for it. Yeah, he's an intensely uh, talented
0: guy. I am currently uh, playing the new um, Spider-Man Miles Morales game. Mm. And uh, according to the creators of Miles Morales, he inspired the creation of that character by wearing a Spider-Man costume on Community. Yes. Which is amazing. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I'm a, I really like him. I think he'll come back when he's got something to do, like to promote, but he's uh-huh. got, it's so interesting. Like he not only doesn't have anything recently, he also doesn't have anything upcoming.
1: Right. That is interesting. Yeah. I, didn't even I look think he's one of those guys
0: that just works when he wants to. Yeah. Like he'll, the next thing he does will probably be the third season of community
1: and it'll be fantastic.
0: Like, yes. So, uh, do you think Donald Glover should come back?
1: I definitely think he should. I think he should come back multiple times. Um, I think he should have been on the show. And and that's why I was bringing up the 30 Rock thing, because how can he have such a good connection, win an Emmy for writing with Tina Fey, and then not get on the show?
0: I think part of it is because they had... At that time, they had Keenan. Yeah.
1: They and had they, had,
0: they had Jay. Yeah. And they are probably like, we're full up on black dudes, which is one of the indictments of the show, that they've just... <laughs> they they see kind of diversity, at least historically. Diversity yeah. feels like a commodity, not a valued addition to the television show. Yeah,
1: right. yeah. It's okay. So what about you? <laughs> Who is your next one? Uh, my next one is...
0: Uh, okay. So I watched the Andy McDowell episodes. This is okay. from 1989. This is after Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which was a big movie um, in the late 80s. Uh, And before Groundhog Day, but she's one of the bigger actors at the time. Um, This is the shortest cold open I've seen in my life. How long is it? Oh, I should have looked at the time, but I will describe the entirety of it to you. Okay. Kevin Nealon is on a kind of gray background, almost like a PSA, going, you know, um, I lost my son to a drunk driver. And then the Energizer Bunny enters, like those old going and going (laughs) and going commercials, and then crosses and goes away. Kevin Nealon is flustered, looks at the camera, live from New York at Saturday night. That is the entirety of the sketch. I'd be stunned if it was two minutes long.
1: Did it have, like, some kind of relevance then? Was there something that happened with the Energizer I mean, the
0: Energizer Bunny was pervasive, but it was like... That was the entirety of the cold <laughs> open. That was it. It was just, he, he got interrupted talking about his dead son and that's it. So,
1: Oh my God. Then
0: Annie McDowell, who I like a lot, at least I like things that she's been in. I love Groundhog Day. It's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, you've seen Groundhog Day. Yes, of course. God, I it's so good. It's yeah. So I, so she's talking about sex life and videotape. She kind of like, kind of stutters through her monologue talking about how she's from Asheville, North Carolina, and her whole family is watching, and, you know, my dad needed to drive 50 miles to Charlotte to go see Sex, Lies, and videotape, but he, and he didn't want to go anybody with anybody because he was nervous about the, the title, and then, you know, Dad, you're watching this with everybody, and it was really just about, like, her family, but okay. not like she told a story about her family. She just, like, was describing her family reckoning with her career, and her dad being uncomfortable with sex okay did you did you like the opening monologue no And so she, she just like it, it, it seemed like a, a sign of bad things to come okay so this one also was a christmas episode so both of my both of the ones i've talked about so far were, were kind of holiday episodes this uh-huh. is the, the, the christmas of 1989 and then the the first sketch is this daycare scene Kinda. So basically, it's like she's got a she's got her baby like swaddled, and she's talking to um, another actress who has her baby in one of those like front kind of. I'm wearing my baby things, not like a Bjorn, but like a okay. like a backwards backpack. Okay. And then basically every new person that enters the scene is somehow holding their baby in a different way, <laughs> and then um, talking about her benefits. You know, so. The woman with the with the baby on the front, it's like oh, it's really nice to get to see them, whatever. Then Dana Carvey enters, and he's got a baby in a backpack, and he's like, no, it's they say it's really good because then they can start seeing the world from like uh, above. And then like the then uh, Lorraine Newman, not Lorraine Newman, another actress en- enters, and the the baby is like in a harness hanging below her her kind of pelvis area. It's kind of swinging. And it's like, well, it's good to be center of gravity. And then there's like (laughs) another one where, um, Kevin Nealon walks in and he's got twins on snow, like basically ski boots on his feet, uh, (laughs) because that's good for twins. And then, um, you know, there's just like, somebody's got them, uh, as the baby, like essentially as like a balloon. And then, um, somebody enters with their dog, with a baby uh, in a basket on its back, whatever, and basically, Andy McDowell just feels totally inadequate because she doesn't know anything about her baby, or whatever. Uh, and they're like, "Oh no, no, it's fine." And then the button is, "Oh, I need to feed it." And she pulls out a bottle, and then uh, and one of the other characters like takes out a turkey baster, and you get the idea that there's a bunch of those <laughs> things. But this is kind of where we're talking about uh, what we think the strengths of hosts are. This is kind of the opposite in this sketch. She is basically. Well, we've talked about in, in previous weeks, kind of in a parade of weirdo sketch, right? Yeah. Now she is the person go, just reacting yeah. to these escalatingly absurd ways of caring
1: for your child. Right. Um that's a great that just sounds like a great game of a scene. It is it is a funny scene. Yeah. And if
0: you're just watching the episode, and God, it's such a it's such it's an era of that very stacked cast with like. Bill Hartman and Dana Garvey and Kevin Nealon and you know just a really good good group. Is that Dennis Miller too? Dennis Miller's on update. I th- mm, no. no Nealon's doing update yeah, by now. Okay. Um, yeah. So mm, maybe Miller's doing an update. I like tried to kind of scan by the things yeah. that were not Andy McDowell really. In. So then we get this next huge sketch that is an iconic sketch that she is not in. So this is the first appearance of jo- Hanukkah Harry. So Hartman is Santa and he is sick <laughs> and uh, so they need somebody else to take care of things so they gra- they need Hanukkah Harry. This is how long this sketch is. I watched the beginning of it and then needed to uh, grab something from the kitchen and I was like, oh, I'll just let it run. So I walk over to the kitchen, and then I got caught up talking to my, my my wife more than like I anticipated, and I'm just kind of like listening. Yeah. And then I come back, and we're in the second location. So like we're in the second location with Hanukkah Harry. I'm like, did I miss something? So I rewind. I'm like, no, no, no. We're still in the same damn sketch. So it starts <laughs> in the North Pole, and then we establish that he needs help, and then we bring in Hanukkah Harry, and then he goes, all right, I'll do it, and then we go to the house with Hanukkah Harry. With the kids yeah. giving out this stuff. It's like, it kind of reminds me of that Apocalypse Now sketch. It is
1: very long. The, in the 80s, it, all their sketches were very long. I, I feel think like.
0: commercial breaks were shorter.
1: I think they just yeah. had more time for content. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, so it's a very, very long sketch in this episode, and Andy McDowell is not in it.
1: <laughs> but, the, but iconic. Oh, yeah,
0: it's a great sketch. Yeah, yeah. It's great. But she, yeah. it has nothing to do with Andy McDowell being the host. She's not in it. At all. She's not one of the kids. She is not Mrs. Claus. Oh, wow. Um, So then <laughs> we get to, she's in the sketch, and it's, uh, it is John Lovitz and Phil Hartman and Annie McDowell and one of the other uh, female cast members. And it is this tribute to musical theater songwriter Hal Jerome, okay. who is not real. And so the i and they're not even really on a set. They're just on the 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 stage for the monologue, so you can see the band behind them. Okay. And there's like this kind of abstracted painting of this playwright, this musical theater playwright, Hal Drum. And basically, the, the joke of the sketch is that this guy wrote this, this these musical theater songs that were very specific to what he was doing in his life. <laughs> so it's like talking about him breaking up with his. Wife and then other events, and then as he was dying, like they're singing these musical theater songs in which they're like hacking and like dying and stuff. So it was like it was a cool idea for a sketch, but again, it had nothing to like. Andy was in it, yeah, and she was singing. She is not a strong
1: singer, she's oh, okay, okay, but she's not great, okay. So, um, kudos for her for trying, yeah.
0: I appreciate that. She definitely was like, she's one of those where. She was um game, which mm-hmm. I appreciate, but she was not like great. Um, so I was it was fine. She was not the highlight. It was a great vehicle for both um Phil Hartman and um Love it. Thank you. God, why <laughs> can't I not keep that name in my head? So so it's a great vehicle. For Hartman and Jan Hooks and John Lovitz, she's just kind of there. It is fine. And then the last sketch that is available on Peacock, so who knows if that's the entirety, but the last one that I saw was um, Annie McDowell is this nervous bride, and people keep coming into her bedroom, so it's like all of her um, bridesmaids, and they're basically fretting about themselves. Oh, uh, they're worried. They're worried, so they're like checking themselves out in the mirror and whatever. And then at the end of the sketch, Phil Hartman comes in as dad and comforts her and says, "It's your day and whatever." But that was it. So she, it. um, this is one where it's like I am not surprised that she didn't come back. I don't like. I hope she had a good, you know, week. Mm-hmm. But the sketches that she was in, she was not the driver of. She was okay throughout yeah. the night and her monologue was like crazy weak so i'm i'm not surprised that she um didn't come back and she kind of you know has her the bulk of her career in the early 90s so there's probably a, like a smaller window where they'd even bring her back Yeah. where she kind of had that kind of kind of of the moment kind of um, energy but yeah it was bleh. not good i like her a lot it was just not yeah. a good match of actor and medium
1: so what so you would not want her to come back for a second Nah, Hosting. I don't think so Hmm. Interesting So let's round
0: out with uh, one last one from me, Randall
1: I'm going to go I'm going to go with Marissa Tomei So what year was Marissa Tomei on? Marissa Tomei was 1994, October 1st
0: So this is after My Cousin Vinny
1: Mm-hmm. This was right after She, okay. she had just won the Oscar for okay. My Cousin Vinny And uh, She comes out, her monologue is Cute um she's very much herself. It kind of reminded me of uh how who was just on uh, Adele. Kind okay. of like it was just sweet. She mm-hmm. was just herself. She kind of makes a joke about how a lot of people thought it was rigged that she won the Oscar and she goes I forget the, the whoever was the announcer that year who announced that she won. But let's just say it's John Smith or something. Mm. A very creative name I just came up with I love John Smith uh, She goes, I was not rigged She goes, It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid And I won uh, Miss America uh, Which was also weirdly uh, Hosted by John Smith And then she Uh, continues on Cute, she talks about She's from New York, so that kind of thing The first sketch that they do Is a parody from My Cousin Vinny And she brings back her character uh, Mona Lisa Vito But they changed it to be the O.J. trial. So she's a... <laughs> that, is, that is as 1994 of
0: a premise you can come up
1: with. Yep, yep. And so she kind of flirts with uh, Ito, the judge played by Mike Myers. And uh, it is very funny. She's, she's very good in it. She's pretty much just replaying a character that she already did. But she's the driving force in it. And uh, it's very good. And then... Um, one of my favorite uh, sketches that she does is they do the daily affirmations with Stuart uh, S- uh, Smalley with Al Franken. Yep, with Al Franken, uh, and it's uh Michael Jackson, and Michael Jackson played by played who? by uh how am I missing Tim Meadows? One? Yeah, Tim okay. Meadows. Yes, that's right, Tim Meadows, and she is playing uh, uh Lisa uh, Marie Presley. Okay. But to save their identities, it's Lisa Marie P. and Michael J. Okay. (laughs) And uh, she just plays this great, dumb character. Mm -hmm. She's very good, where Stuart is obviously trying to talk to them about how great their relationship is and how they've overcome hardship, and she just keeps responding with, We have a monkey. (laughs) And and then... uh, she will turn to uh, Tim Meadows and go, yum, yum, give me some, and then <laughs> start making out with him. And it is so funny. She's so deadpan and so st- stupid, um, and she plays it so great. And I was like, she was a really good character actress yeah. in these uh, sketches. And, uh yeah, then they do a, a piercing talk show where she's the host of this piercing talk show. Okay. Chris Farley shows up in all these piercings. She's got eight piercings, and kind of the butt of the joke is uh, they all have infections. Um, <laughs> so are not actually good at it. And they're not very good at it, and they just kind of talk about their infections. Uh, Kevin Nealon is also in it, and he has a bar through his head, and he's like, this is not a piercing. This was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> but they just keep treating it like it's a piercing. Um, and that's all right. But uh yeah, I thought she did a very good job. She was very cute. Um her monologue wasn't spectacular, but I think that she deserved a second hosting. Yeah, it's interesting. So she I
0: think of her as the person for my cousin Vinny, but like she's been nominated for Oscars multiple times since then. Mm-hmm. She's Aunt May. In the new Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man movies, so she's you know just had a kind of great long career. It feels like she's somebody that probably doesn't have like the the kind of of the moment kind of attention right now, but she's very good.
1: Yeah, yeah, she is very good, and she she should have hosted again, but who knows? Maybe she will. Hope so. But what you, about sh- you would welcome her back. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. What about you? What's uh, what's your? I'll do.
0: I'll, I'll do a, new, uh, a kind of one that is near and dear to my heart, uh, but. An okay episode. Okay, so uh, my last one is uh, Patrick Stewart. This is from nineteen ninety four. Uh, yes. So this is from so nineteen ninety four is right after the end of run, the end of the run of Next Generation, before they start making the the movies with him.
1: What what month is this? This is
0: oh, I should have written that oh. down, but I will. Look. That's right. I just wanted
1: to know uh, compared to uh, Marissa Tomei.
0: Oh, yeah. So this is, Patrick Stewart, this is February of 94. Okay. So, and yours was when in 93? It was October 1st, 94. October 4th. Okay, so this is the, the season before that one. Before that, that one. yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, so Patrick Stewart, this is one where his main identity is Captain Picard. <laughs> Certainly for American audiences. Um, what's interesting about this one is that he is in the cold open. Oh, and this kind of ties well to what you were just talking about, because this is an an experience that I think I feel stronger than you do uh, since I kind of lived through this. Uh So like early 90s, um, Michael Jackson is accused of sexual assault of minors, which we now know in the year 2020 almost certainly happened. Mm -hmm. But he did such a good job of um, making people feel bad, for him about the whole thing that they're the, the victims were kind of called liars and he got off without any criminal penalties. Mm. So this is where that after the allegations, they're trying to increase his um, kind of socialization, get him out there, meet some women, whatever. This is before he starts dating Lisa Marie. Okay. So this is, it's uh, Patrick Stewart, and Phil Hartman in the cold open, Patrick Stewart, who is the host, and Tim Meadows as Michael Jackson. They're at a bar. He's chatting up girls and not doing a very good job. And then, like Patrick Stewart as like the um, kind of handler, will whisper something into his ear, and then be like, "Do you like monkeys? I have monkeys. <laughs> Do you like Ferris wheels? And whatever." And then, Life in New York is Saturday night uh, monologue. Patrick Stewart. It is. I think it's funny. This monologue gets nothing, where oh, basically no. he's like, yeah, "You all, you all know me from from Star Trek," and I find myself to be a Star Trek aficionado. And then he basically does a bunch of malapropisms about Star Trek. He's like, "You might not not know that on the original show, the star the the spaceship was not called the Star Trek; it was called the Enterprise." <laughs> uh, and then he just like biffs a bunch of. The names like Spock and whatever, and he was like, "Yes." And there was a medical officer named Bodie, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is funny, and he delivers it well. It gets Jack in the room. It is does not go well.
1: Do you think it would get more nowadays? Because I feel like Star Trek nerds kind of. I think we know more about Patrick Stewart in 2020. Yeah, you know what I mean. This is
0: uh, there. This was. He was just the guy from the show on syndication that some people watched. Yeah. This is six years before X-Men. Yeah. It's like he is just the guy from Star Trek. Wow. The next generation, the TV show that you probably didn't watch. Yeah. And no one in that room is like, oh, I loved him in Richard III. Right. You know, from you know, the Royal Shakespeare Company 20 <laughs> years ago. So his monologue is not great. His, <laughs> the first sketch, though, is one of my favorites. And it is uh, he is this sexy cake shop owner. And uh, Rob Schneider wants a sexy cake for like a bachelor party. And he's like, uh, they, and they just have a bunch of boxes. And he opens it, and he's like, what, what do you think of this? He's like, it's a lady going to the bathroom. He's Like, yes, I know. It's pretty sexy. <laughs> and then he pulls out another one. He's like, oh, no, no, I see, I see which one, I see which one. He pulls out another one. He's like, what do you think? He's like, it's just another lady going to the bathroom. He's like, no, 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 this one's chocolate. <laughs> um, and so basically, the only thing he finds sexy is women urinating oh god uh and so some other like again going with my snl gay panic a couple a, a homosexual couple comes in they're looking for a cake he's like here to go and they're like we asked for a, a penis and it's a lady Go to the bathroom he's like yes i know <laughs> and they just take it <laughs> and then at the end of the sketch a woman comes in after rob schneider is very frustrated she comes in she's like could you could you just like do you have a cake In the shape of somebody going to the bathroom, he's like, Yes, and it's That's great. It's like, Patrick Schumer just plays it very straight, it is very funny. <laughs> um, and also, this is a phase where he is like, He's always been in good shape, but this guy's like jacked, uh, more than you realize. He's just like in this like tight t shirt and this apron, which is like his yeah. bulging biceps. Um, and then there is a uh, kind of political sketch almost about um, this. Lawyer representing people that say that it wasn't their fault, and they use Tanya Harding again. This is very 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's not in that. And then the last sketch is there was this Surgeon General under the the Clinton administration that got a bunch of flack for being a very um, like sex positive. Okay. So uh, the sketch is is this. Um, Surgeon General, as played by Ellen Cleghorn, is doing the ABCs in front of this kindergarten class, but they're all, like, sexual terms. Like, so C is for condom. Okay. And then um, she's like, we need to to bring in, I have a very special guest. And it's Patrick Stewart in kind of, and she's in, like, a military dress uniform. And he comes in, in, um, like, a doctor's outfit and basically has with him a model of the human colon, talking about the dangers of uh, injury to your colon th- uh, from homosexual um, sex. So, so like, anal intercourse might damage your colon. Mm. And just, again, as Patrick Stewart, big, deep, <laughs> Shakespearean actor voice, playing it straight, it is great.
1: There's nothing better than that.
0: No, and, like, he's somebody that, like, he is he's not known for comedy. He can be very funny because he kind of commits and he's yeah. got this great presence. He is somebody, so this was maybe there's some stuff that didn't appear on the Peacock airing of it that I couldn't see, but it's like a you know, relatively um sh- they didn't show much of the episode. This is where uh the episode in which um John Mullaney made a whole bit about it in one of his stand-up specials, where it's uh he kind of annu- announces the musical guest Assault and Papa. Um and unfortunately, because the Peacock airing doesn't have the the musical guest, you don't see that. But you do uh-huh. see him, like, put his arms around salt and pepper at the end. So that's very <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's Patrick Stewart. He's somebody that I really think could have come back in the early 2000s during yeah. the kind of X-Men period of his life. Yeah. Or even now, he is very old, though. He's like... I think he's in his eighties, but he's on. He's got, his, he's got his Picard show on CBS All Access, oh, so it right. could be definitely somebody that somebody that came back, and I think that is well liked, especially this whole quarantine period. Yeah, he's been doing. He read all of Shakespeare's sonnets. Yeah, so I think that he's somebody that they could potentially bring back sooner than later. Could definitely
1: bring him back. He, uh, you have you ever seen the Improvised Shakespeare Company? Yeah. So apparently, he performs with them. That's every awesome. once in a while. And they say that he is the dirtiest, most random performer. <laughs> and they love it because they have to justify him. But it's interesting to think that he's gotten more into improv comedy and comedy in general. So I think you should definitely bring him back. Do you want to know something? So yes. We have Star Trek. Uh, I was born in 1994. My parents were both Trekkies, and they almost named me Riker. That's amazing.
0: I love it. Which I love your parents out. even more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, so, so they just called you number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is our first edition of our Tales from the One Timers Club. So please make sure you like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. You can email us at snrewindpod.gmail.com gmail.com. You can find Randall at Fresh Cut Randall on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Mr. B Paradise on the same platforms as well. So we are so thankful that you are listening please uh, tell your friends we're having a great time we're going to continue to do some of these specialty episodes before uh, SNL comes back from their well-deserved break so we'll come up with something fun to discuss next week I think we're going as we get into the holidays we'll talk a little bit about kind of special holiday episodes mm-hmm. or favorite holiday sketches we might talk about. Um, some musical guests that we've really liked. So if you have some t- suggestions, you can find us on our platforms or shoot us an email and give us some suggestions. But until next time, uh, Randall, you have a great week. Hey, you too. All right, bye. See ya.